politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, our liberty, our property, and what actually matters to our lives. And it's pretty much everything, including your soul, your body, your mind. We're going to talk about all that today. Great to be back at my flagstaff here. Um, Man, it was something else traveling two days, both directions to Florida with four young kids. I don't know if I'll ever do that again. Uh, But it's interesting, you know, being away for that long, which is probably the longest I've been out of the news cycle since the previous decade, the 2000s. Uh, probably since before social media. That's how crazy it is. Obviously, we we managed to put out a couple shows every other day, but more or less, I was out of it. And I got to thinking that, you know what? I always get so annoyed at people for not being awake and not being activated on the issues that matter. But then I come to realize that I guess if you don't do this full-time or take a particular interest... um. I was on vacation, but other people, they work all day, but let's say they work in a different field and they just don't pay attention. They live a good life. You might not realize it. Products are a little bit more expensive now. COVID lockdowns are over. Man, it's kind of normal. That's exactly how they want us to think. And I, I wish I could think this way. I wish I could just walk away from this because, frankly, politics is frustrating and we don't have any side that properly represents us. But we have no choice because they are plotting and scheming and successfully implementing their great reset, the transhumanist agenda, the depopulation agenda. We're going to talk today with a special guest who's really been writing about this since before me, been very keen on understanding what transhumanism is, who's behind it, what's the agenda, where is the puck headed towards, and and the actions we need to take to... Uh, fight against it. Digital currency, obviously getting rid of food and fuel, perpetual emergencies, and then even hacking into our own brains and minds. It's all on the table, folks. <laughs> so, you know, we could sit and ignore it at our own peril, and it might be blissful for a couple more years, but we can only fight until we can no longer fight. So, if we wait until that point, well, then it's too late. Now, one thing you can do right now to fight transhumanists, those involved are very much the telecoms companies. So, folks, why not choose America's only Christian conservative mobile provider uh, rather than going with T-Mobile, Spy Mobile, uh, AT&T, Verizon, you name it, um, as America's only Christian conservative mobile phone company, they tailor make their company towards our values meaning rather than donating to the transhumanists they donate to the sanctity of life religious freedom and the second amendment go to patriotmobile.com slash cr or call 972 patriot if you haven't done it today uh, i i was wearing my patriot mobile t-shirts the whole time in florida um use offer code cr to get free activation again they follow the same uh, coverage is the major carrier, so it's not like you have to sacrifice for an off-brand or something. Uh, you'll get the same service. You won't notice the difference except two things. Number one, you won't, you won't be funding the enemy. Number two, 
every time you call up, you don't have to worry about dealing with people who can't speak English, which was always a big problem with me with Verizon. They have uh, you know, a U.S.-based customer service, 972 Patriots. So again, join our movement today. Make the switch. Um, PatriotMobile.com slash CR. It's PatriotMobile.com slash CR. Or call 972 Patriot. If you're a veteran or first responder, please let them know because they have a discount for you. So I want to start off before we bring on our guests with a quote from Klaus Schwab, just explaining where he's headed. This was said recently at one of his confabs. Uh, Take a listen here. But I think we have to explain to everybody that this revolution, there are some risks which we have to get under control, but there are many more opportunities. And that's the end. I'm... If I look very far ahead, I feel that we are at a threshold of uh, human society. I think it gives us the opportunity at the end, with the help of robots, with the help of those technologies, to find a new sophistication for humanity, which means a kind of renaissance, to become more creative, to become more society-oriented to show more a feeling of solidarity, because it frees us from the traditional production and consumption cycles. So help of robots become more creative. We're at the threshold of human society. That's literally a quote there. To become more society-oriented, to show more solidarity, because it frees us from traditional production and consumption cycles. Production and consumption cycles. Meaning, you can't produce cars, you can't produce fossil fuels, and you can't consume them either. What will you consume? Bugs. Okay? You will have a QR code. You will live in the metaverse. This was all groomed upon us from COVID fascism. That's why I call it the rise of the Fourth Reich. He calls it the Fourth Industrial Revolution. I call it the Fourth Reich. It's built on this technology of transhumanism, taking the Third Reich and taking it to the next level through the advent of technology, public-private partnerships, and globalism, things that you didn't really have as much back during the Third Reich. And by the way, you could still get our book, For pre-order, before it comes out, Rise of the Fourth Reich, Confronting COVID Fascism with a New Nuremberg Trial So It Never Happens Again. Go to trialsandexecution.com to find it. And by the way, you can find all my daily musings now that I'm off of Twitter on Telegram at C19TruthBombs. We cover COVID a lot, but other stuff as well. But again, the, the, the point of COVID was that they were teaching us that government could declare an emergency and then change your way of life change your brain, change your body, change your mouth and nose and make you cover it, lock down anything, certainly regulate and restrict anything. That power was never given back and it won't be given back until it's taken back. But we have not taken it back yet. And that's the blueprint I give for this book, the blueprint I'm going to push in the state legislatures for next year. But so long as it's not pushed back, they're going to continue pushing other things. 
and you you listen to Republicans, and it's funny. We were the first to call this, but now it's become mainstream. I see as I, I, I went on vacation that the the red wave has really fizzled out as of now. Um, you know, at best, it will be kind of a traditional midterm election where the party out of power wins. Um, it's very simple because Republicans are campaigning as if this is a traditional news cycle. So we're kind of a 50-50 country. Spend a little bit more on Medicaid, a little bit less. More on these programs or less. Are you for ab- abortion or not? It, it, it's, it's reverted to the same issues. The public has not been activated to exactly what we're up against. And if people knew what we were up against with transhumanism, we would have a supermajority of people against it. I mean, just today, the FDA approved Omicron variant shots, both for Pfizer and Moderna, based on nothing more than than eight mice, data from eight mice. And I'm sure the data was bad. As we've learned, it's no different from what they've already done, except here it's blatant. Oh, we no longer need clinical trials. I can't believe they got away with that. And no one's making any noise about it. It's not like Republicans are prom- promising to defund this in the budget bill within a couple weeks, which is coming up, by the way, to filibuster the uh, continuing resolution, resolution or even to do so when they have control of the House next year. They're not planning that at all. In fact, they're still going to sign off on budgets that fund giving money to Pfizer and Moderna, which are at the head of this transhumanist movement. Controlling our bodies like we're lab rats. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it reverts back to a typical election. It's like, you mean these guys could, could destroy humanity as we know it and still not suffer electoral rep- reprisal? Well, if Republicans don't make a deal out of it, you won't know. I mean, I'll be honest with you. If, if my life would have been like it, it was the last, uh, whatever, nine days or so, then, yeah, I wouldn't know this is going on either. I enjoyed my R&R time with the kids, although it is kind of grueling with four young kids. But it was nice to get away. It was nice to visit family. It was nice to see Florida. It was good to just miss out on the blood boiling and blood clotting news cycle. But the reality is, if you don't have political leadership telling people, showing people, this is what our enemies are are doing to us, this is their motivation, connecting the dots so that it's not just from one crisis to another, from one news cycle to another, that we're just happening upon happenstance, coming upon energy shortages and food shortages and medical shortages. No, it's all part of the same thing. You know, part of this, this transhumanism, again, if you are trying to control the population, what more would you do? Life expectancy just came out today from a CDC. Everyone's reporting on it. It dropped two years in a row, you know, 2020, 2021. Now, now we're at the point where it was the sharpest drop since 1923 going backwards. And then also put another way, it slid us backwards to 1995. So 28 years worth of advances for 27 until 2020. In, in 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 you know life expectancy that's a big deal and it's done by design and that includes the drug overdoses and the culture of drugs and working with the drug cartels to bring them in that's a big part of the 
uh, you know, lowering of life expectancy because of the drugs, but also there's a lot to talk about that. Well, Daniel, that's because of COVID. Well, I have a lot to say about that. And then we'll bring on our guest. First, our, our sponsor today for our interview is Better Spectacles. Okay? Look, you could use technology for the good. You could use it for the bad. You could use it to control people and give them all pain and no gain. Or you could create biometric intelligence glasses or big from Better Spectacles, America's only conservative eyewear company, just like we give you their only conservative uh, cell phone provider. They give you a seamlessly natural experience that works perfectly with your brain, gives you the sharpest vision at all distances. For people like myself who are nearsighted, um, it, it, you get you see up to forty percent better. I see it, it, you know. That's why I think I perform better with them. My wife loves her glasses as well as does my oldest son, my twelve-year-old. Um, they import German uh, Rodenstock eyewear. That's really the world's gold standard. Ronald Reagan himself wore. Rodent stock. So if you want what I have, go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment today. You don't even have to leave your home and wear a dumb mask. Don't settle with your eyesight. Go big with biometrical intelligence glasses from Better Spectacles. Um, if you go right now to betterspectacles.com slash conservative, they're offering an introductory 61% off their progressive eyewear plus free handcrafted rodent stock frames. Folks, don't go with politically progressive eyewear, um, which you're, you're going to go with with every other company. Go with America's only conservative company, betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So a lot of people are saying, well, Daniel, may, maybe the life expectancy is because of the pandemic. And that's what the media is reporting on. The, the, the problem with that is, is a couple things. Number one, if it's from COVID, that in itself is a problem. How is 2021 worse than 2020, right? We had the vaccines. So that would lend credence to Gert Vandenbosch's theory, in which we're seeing again, that it actually made the um, vaccine more virulent and then eventually more transmissible, but first more virulent with the Delta variant. So that in itself is an indictment of the shots. But moreover, th there's a lot of ways to skin this cat, and I can do endless shows on this, but I want to move on to something new. Um, but I'll give you one data point the, the, there's a new uh, preprint out on ResearchGate. It's titled Excess Mortality in Germany 2020 to 2022 from Christoph Kubander from University of Regensburg, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. In 2020, the observed number of deaths was close to the expected number with respect to empirical standard deviation. So in other words, 2020, the year of the pandemic, pre-vaccine, Germany, Germany was kind of normal because Germany was one of those countries didn't really have a problem. Oh, so you would expect you didn't have a problem in 2020. And then by the time COVID would visit you in 2021, boom, you're fully fortified and armed with an amazing vaccine. So you shouldn't have any really standard deviation uh, of deaths, more deaths in 2021 than 2020, right? Nope. By contrast, in 2021, the observed number of deaths was two empirical standard deviations above the expected number. The high excess mortality in 2021 was almost entirely due to an increase in deaths in the age groups between 15 and 79 and started to accumulate only after April 2021 onwards. A similar mortality pattern was observed for stillbirths, 
with an increase of about 11% in the second quarter of the year, second quarter year of 2021. Something must have happened in, in April 2021 that led to a sudden and a sustained increase in mortality in the age groups below 80, although no such effects on mortality had been observed during the COVID-19 pandemic so far. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Now, folks, those of you who listened to the show before know that I've been talking about this for a while. Um, whereas in Israel, the UK, and America, uh, the COVID uptake, the vaccine uptake mainly occurred in January 2021. In continental Europe, like in Germany, it started in April 2021. Uh, these companies aren't as wealthy. They don't have the ability to print money. And they did not, they held out for a couple of months because uh, the vaccine companies were extorting them and they didn't want to pay. But then finally they jumped on board in April 2021. So folks, there you have it. The the uptake coincides, the uptake of excess deaths, as we said, coincides with the uptake of the vaccine exactly. And then moreover, around the same time you had the increase in stillbirths, which again makes no sense. Um, if, if it wouldn't be the vaccine doing that. So again, reduce, re- reduce the birth rate, increase the death rate. That is the goal of transhumanism for, um, for the dead. They want to kill people. But what about for the living? What about for the living? Now, as we discuss their agenda for the living, what does transhumanism mean? Sometimes it's important to call upon newer voices. You know, typically the problem is you see in conservative politics, these same old voices from 20, 30 years ago, and they really don't have anything interesting to say. And they really, more specifically, don't speak to the challenges of the day. And again, the challenges of the day, I wish we can go back to the time where the extent of our problems was, you know, the contours of a federal program, how much money you want to spend on this, the typical debates over tax rates. No, this is, they're coming for our life, blood, soul, mind, brain, you name it. And I want to kind of define this with our guest. Uh, Whitney Webb has been a professional writer, researcher the last couple of years really focusing on some of these issues. She currently writes for her own website, unlimitedhangout.com. Make sure you check it out. She has a podcast that is very, very incisive, very important. She contributes to The Last American Vagabond. She's also the author of the upcoming two-volume book. Okay, watch for this. One Nation Under Blackmail, The Sordid Union Between Intelligence and Organized Crime That Gave Rise to Jeffrey Epstein. Whitney, thanks so much for joining us today, because there is so much in that to cover. (laughs) Hey, Daniel, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, yeah, I mean, you are really on by popular demand. I've gotten numerous emails of people saying, Daniel, do you know that there's there's another podcaster that's really sounds a lot like you is really covering this in depth. So I wanted to go through with you just first broad, because I know this is like uncovering five years of your worth of your work within a half an hour. But I want to go over broad overhead where the puck is headed when it comes to this transhuman agenda, the neuro control, the hacking into human brains, the QR codes, digital ID. If you could try describe a little bit the what, who and why behind this that people need to watch out for. Okay, so obviously uh, there's a lot to cover there in what you just laid out, um, and it's hard to briefly summarize it all. I think the best place to probably start 
is to go back to the beginning when we know of the first time the term transhumanism was used. And this was in a book written in 1957 called New Bottles for New Wine. The author of that book was Julian Huxley, who I believe is the the brother of the uh, famous author Aldous Huxley of Brave New World. Uh, Julian Huxley was uh, president of the British Eugenics Society. Uh, He was also the first director general of UNESCO at the UN. Um, And in 1946, just after World War II uh, and his vision for UNESCO, he wrote, um, he wrote, you know, this paper where he said, quote, uh, the eugenic problem is examined with the greatest care and that the public, oh, sorry, um, he said it was essential that, quote, uh, the eugenic problem is, is examined with the greatest care and that the public mind is informed of the issues at stake so much that it is now on that the what is now unthinkable may at least become thinkable which is pretty astounding when you consider what happened in World War II uh, and eugenics there. This is a man calling for eugenics to, you know, unthinkable eugenics to become thinkable again. And roughly a decade later, he coins the term transhumanism in this book, New Bottles for New Wine, where he's basically arguing um, that now instead of the eugenics of yesteryear, the goal of the new eugenics is biologically engineering human uh, evolution uh, that will be refined through what he calls coining the term transhumanist technologies, which he defines as um, in in the 50s, combining the eugenic methods of genetic engineering with neurotech that merges humans and machines into a new organism. So basically, eugenics in this period started to shift away from, you know, this race or this ethnic group is superior, inferior, whatever, to uh, recreating humanity. And, And these are people that are obviously quite controversial, you know, even at the time they were, they were creating it. And so that's ultimately the roots of transhumanism. It's born out of eugenics. And so that's why that's a great summary just in a few minutes there. I mean, I think that that was very succinctly said, Um, you know, we came out with a book, the rise of the fourth Reich and everyone's like up in arms. Oh man, how could you believe in that? Well, what you just described, I mean, from three to four, it's using new technology to achieve the same goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you look back in, in history, right, well, you know, talking about World War II, for example, the, the eugenics program of Nazi Germany initially um, in the in the 20s and the 30s was funded with money from the Rockefeller family, for example. Um, and a lot of these eugenics organizations uh, have never really gone away. They just sort of underwent a transformation, sort of in the same way that Julian Huxley charted that course forward in that in, in the 50s. A lot of these other organizations, like uh, the Rockefellers Population Council and some of these other things, they started to promote, uh, you know, uh, take on the guise of, um, you know, links with the women's movement and birth control and all of this stuff, but ultimately, uh, you know, maintain some of these um, eugenics-related uh, goals in, in mind. One of these is the Galton Institute, uh, which I wrote about um I guess at the end of 2020, because the developer of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine uh, had considerably close ties to the Galton Institute, which is the renamed version of the British Eugenic Society that Julian Huxley once led. Uh, after that report came out, they changed their name uh, to Adelphi, I believe. Uh, but, you know, these groups are still around and they're still pretty uh, influential at the at the end of the day, which is uh, disconcerting. Um, you know, some of the people that were involved with the Human Genome uh, Project are in creating it. Uh, were part of the Galton Institute and had sort of charted this course for uh, gene editing medicine, quote unquote medicine, 
you know, back in the in the 80s and even earlier. And a lot of it comes out of this type of mentality um, that, you know, eugenics is, um, you know, okay, it's acceptable, it's good. And with new technology, we can manipulate DNA like ever before. You don't have to worry so much about the races that exist on Earth and create in breeding programs, you know, and, and things like that. You know, again, the eugenics of yesteryear, it's all about using uh, technology to improve genome quality. And you don't necessarily need to have breeding programs for that. You can just use. And uh, one of the officers of the Galton Institute wrote a whole book about this saying that now the eugenics of today is is gene therapy or gene manipulation of, mm. of germ cells. Germ so you know what cells. everyone's thinking as you're talking when they hear the word gene therapy. Yeah. So how did the COVID vaccines and, and presumably the 15 or so mRNAs that Moderna has in the pipeline and Pfizer 2 now is an RSV shot, um, how does that play into this broad picture and this long-term goal? So there's a major effort to normalize these technologies. I think COVID-19 was done for that. Uh, it was a huge boon for that. Um, a lot of these technologies are being heavily promoted by people with either ties to the national security state in the U.S. or Silicon Valley, or both in many cases. And they are, before COVID, were pushing for the removal of regulatory barriers to get these new technologies uh, adopted by the public. And these are people like uh, the CEO of NQTEL, uh, people like Eric Schmidt of Google. Uh, sorry, the NQTEL, for people that don't know, is the CIA's venture capital arm. Um, and a lot of these groups came together um, on the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence. And in 2019, they were this is what they were essentially calling for. And they specifically say things like the FDA approval is a problem. HIPAA compliance is a problem. And we need to remove what those things they call mm. Right, they call them regulatory barriers because they're in the way of progress as they see it, which is the widespread implementation and adoption of this stuff. And, uh, you know, I've written about Moderna pretty extensively. In their case, before COVID, they couldn't get any product approved because they couldn't get it past animal trials because of problems with toxicity of the lipid nanoparticle uh, sure. platform they were using. So you have to have those regulatory barriers removed in order to have those products used widely because they can't be approved under the existing regulations because under existing regulations, they're unsafe to human health, right? So it's, it becomes quickly apparent what these people value more than, more than you know, uh, what their value system is, what their priorities are when it comes to, uh, you know, government, uh, the, you know, the government role, the regulatory role, and how important it is, you know, how they basically see public health, quote unquote, public health. Uh, it's essentially looking at people as, as guinea pigs at the end of the day. I mean, that's how I interpret it. I don't well, know. It, it, it's different. funny you're saying this because it's on. It's it, we're speaking on the day that the FDA just approved new boosters for a shot that it seemed like the last couple of weeks universally everyone started to understand it's suddenly killing people. Um, another version of it based on a study of eight. Mice. mice, eight mice. No human um, trials. Well, the and, human trials are yeah. in progress, and they have preliminary data. And that preliminary human data is what the UK MHRA used when they approved it. Right. In the case of the FDA, I don't think they even considered that. They just went with the animal study. With as you said, it has an extremely small sample size. And and this, you know, it, regardless of how how you feel about what's happened over the past two years, the fact that they're going to put something on the market, um, including things that can be used by minors without 
any human trials having been conducted is scandalous and sets a very dangerous precedent. And it's stunning to me that people on the left uh, traditionally, you know, calling out corporate greed or the conflicts of interest of big pharma, um, you know, are either silent or cheering this on. Yeah. Uh, just I, I, totally it, it is astounding. It's like they yeah. hate big oil, but somehow Pfizer is amazing that for the government to partner with, fund, market, distribute, absolve of liability, even after uh, there's so many prima facie problems with it. Um, so so here's what everyone wants to know, and, and maybe we don't know the answer. Uh, Bloomberg once reported that there are two, from from Albert Borla directly from his mouth that there are 280 ingredients in the Pfizer shot. We we don't really know what almost any of those are. What we do know is obviously there's you know over a thousand peer reviewed studies now um, detailing uh, different maladies and ailments from the shots all across the spectrum of you know pathophysiology. Uh, again, you have over 14,000 categories of of injuries in VARES. We certainly see it does seem to age some people. Uh, we now know it inhibits uh, DNA repair. It does, you know, there is reverse transcription. We have that Swedish study. Um, it's not being refuted. Mm -hmm. So that much we know as far as gene therapy. That's pretty, it's a pretty tall order. Do you think that there's another even more sinister dimension to this? That perhaps there's ingredients that somehow... Um, fulfill Klaus Schwab's dream of either hacking or tracking or I, this is stuff I never would have even asked about two years ago, but yeah. now it makes me wonder, is there, is it a possibility that this is the trial run of what Klaus always talks about in uh, Yuval Harari about hacking into people's neurological system? You know, I suppose it's possible, but the problem is we don't really know. And so, um, I think what's obviously happened over the past two years is that this type of gene therapy, what was openly called gene therapy before COVID, but now you're called a conspiracy theorist if you call it that, essentially. Um, it's to normalize these types of technologies uh, as medicines and as normal medicines. Because, if I, I mean, a lot of uh, talk has been put into already about talking about the next pandemic or what Bill Gates a year or two ago called pandemic two. Um, you know, this is something that's been been discussed and there's been a lot of preparations made under the guise of COVID to be ready for the quote unquote next pandemic. And, and this includes, on you know, RNA vaccines. And um, there's been subsequent, um, well, I guess, war games in the COVID era, which is what are germ war games or germ games, depending on who um, is, is discussing them that talk about having a no regrets approach to the next pandemic, meaning, yeah, so we know that. Uh, quarantines and lockdowns and, uh, you know, the first, you know, the COVID mRNA vaccines and all of this stuff didn't work. But, well, we have to do everything we can to stop this one. So no regrets. We'll do it again. Uh, at least that's what it says to me. So I think, you know, getting the public, at least a large enough segment of the public used to taking this stuff, equating it mentally with vaccines is is damaging enough, really. And also, you know, what we just talked about, about um basically eliminating regulatory barriers for these new gene therapies in the market because you know mrna is just the beginning it, the bit there's also a big drive for uh, crispr uh, which is dna editing in vivo there was a lot of stuff when they were putting out the mrna vaccines it won't change your dna and all of this stuff right because people weren't comfortable with that 
but they want people to be comfortable with that because venture capital has invested in, in a lot of guys like Silicon Valley billionaires and a lot of guys with a lot of power, also DARPA, have put a lot of money into, into CRISPR and quote unquote medicines based around gene editing. Uh, and they want that to be normalized and they want to put it on the market. You know, is this regardless just about of how people and hmm? venture capital or is there something more behind that? No, well, it, it ties into th this fourth industrial revolution and all of that, sure. But I think what happened, you know, I, I, I interpreted your question as asking, asking more specifically about this vaccination campaign mm. over the past two years. And I think it's just about getting people primed uh, for what's to come when it comes with gene e editing things, um, sort of this, um, th there's a lot going on in this space. I mean, for example, you have uh, groups of harvard scientists but in china uh that are creating uh engineering um human pig organs to be transplanted into people and stuff and you know the sort of this um pretty just bizarre feel I, I, most people i think would regard it as as bizarre you know using technology in ways that it really you know i a lot of people i would assume anyway don't think it should be used normalizing uh, that type of stuff and, and creating, you know, this revolution in medicine, because a lot of companies like Moderna and several other ones as well um, in different fields are constantly talking about the rev revolution, how technology is going to revolutionize medicine. And I think there's a lot of, um, if you look for it, the World Economic Forum, the National Security Commission on AI, they have a lot of emphasis on healthcare uh, for getting mm. uh, as the impetus to get this technology more and more into the body. You get people used to taking injections um, with mRNA. Uh, they claim it's not going to alter your genetic material, but you're getting, you're having foreign material, you know, genetic material injected into you. Uh, but you're, but now we know that it is sort of, as you mentioned earlier, reverse transcribing, at least according to one study. So there needs to be further study, obviously. But instead of that, you know, we're not really having a lot of attention put into that. Instead, mm -hmm. we're having you know, a push for new boosters and less regulatory control. They're going to keep pushing the envelope until eventually it's going to be, um, you know, uh, they're going to be able to get away with a lot more, you know, have the FDA approve um, in implantable injectable devices. Um, there's a, some, a lot of, you know, money writing on this in a sense, but, you know, I think there, it is more than just money because there's an ideology here. You could actually argue that it's a religion uh, for yes. some of these people, which is particularly uh, concerning. Yes, and you I mentioned mean, Yuval Noah Harari uh, earlier. I mean, he's basically the prophet, I guess you could say, or one of them, uh, of that religion, which he calls dataism. And we can talk about that uh, in a moment. But you get people used to receiving gene therapy and gene editing, you know, they'll eventually be more open, uh, uh, open, I guess these people assume anyway, Yep. To having nanotechnology and other things injected into them as well, uh, wearables, all sorts of stuff. I mean, um, we've heard like this that. from the, the Bayer CEO. We've heard yeah. well, everything you're saying, just so the audience knows what Whitney is saying. There is a quote from every big player. I, I wish I had it in front of me now. Maybe I'll track it down later. It was either an ABC or CBS affiliate in California did an interview with Fauci. Um, and where he basically said, they said, look, you know, people wouldn't have been open to this stuff, all things equal. Um, now uh, we needed we need an emergency to do this. And now people are much more open to it. It was all about grooming and priming people into this new normal, which is, again, is why it's so important. We don't move on from covid fascism. We have to put a regulatory social. I mean, 
privacy laws, constitutional rights in place so this doesn't grow legs because it it certainly is. One of the things that surprised me, and this seems to be a big part of your purview in your book, um, so I think, you know, people know about Bill Gates. They know about the World Economic Forum a lot more now than they did a couple of years ago, even though it's been around for a while. I include myself among those people who never focused on it before COVID. Um, but you mention the national security state, and, and, and I want mm-hmm. you to elaborate on this further um, because what what you know strikes me about this is we've had Dr. Andrew Huff on before, and he's the one who worked with Peter Daszak at EcoHealth Alliance, and he he is claiming he believes more than an NIH venture, this gain of function was really more of an intel community, the whole COVID gain of function. Mm-hmm. Um, could you discuss a little bit about the role of the Intel state in COVID vaccines, this, uh, this technology, um, gene editing technology, and then, you know, give us a little bit of a tease and take as much time as you need of how this ties back into Jeffrey Epstein and your coming book, your, your upcoming book. Okay, yeah, so that is going to take me a while <laughs> to get through all of that. If I miss uh, one of the points you brought up, please uh, feel free to remind me because I may have just gotten, may have just forgotten. Um, so the intelligence community is all over this transhumanist stuff, and they have been for a very long time. Um, for example, um, DARPA. Uh, so talking about the national security state, right? I would brought, you know, briefly sort of define that as, you know, the mil- military intelligence. Um, and, you know, the military industrial complex, the intelligence industrial complex, groups like that working together. Uh, Silicon Valley, I would essentially see as part of that these days because it's essentially fused with them and most big tech companies are contractors for either the intelligence community, the military, or both, most of them both. Um, So uh, take, for example, uh, DARPA. Uh, One of the directors of uh, DARPA, her name is Regina Dugan, uh, she is the person that greenlighted the use of uh, M- mRNA vaccine programs at DARPA that eventually turned into a DARPA funding uh, research into mRNA vaccines for Moderna and Pfizer. What do you know? But this was um, uh, about a decade ago, more or less, maybe a little more. So, you know, DARPA has been one of the main drivers behind that. They're intimately involved with Moderna um, and they have s- several offices that are focused specifically on, on transhumanist stuff. I think uh, the the current office, the name of the current office at DARPA that deals with that is BTO, the Biological Technologies Office. It used to be called, I think, like Transformational Convergence Office or something like that. But it's it's essentially about um, combining man and machine. Uh, Regina Dugan, after doing that, went on to create DARPA equivalents for Google and Facebook, both of which are about creating human... Uh, human brain machine interfaces and what Dugan describes is uh, fixing what she calls the mismatch between human and machines. So different projects that merge humans and machines to vary it by, you know, various degrees. Um, And uh, currently she's running a program called welcome leap, which is the welcome trust version of DARPA, Uh, the welcome trust, uh, I sort of, it's not entirely accurate, but, you know, for most people's understanding, it's its fair. Uh, it's sort of like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for the UK in terms mm. of its influence on medical research. It's that type of foundation, but its origins go back to a 
a power-hungry, crazy guy in big pharma who was tied up with eugenics and other stuff. Um, so, you know, not that different than Bill Gates, I guess, in some senses. So um, <clears throat> what the welcome leap under this lady is doing now is trying to uh, develop with the intention of normalizing technologies they develop um, that are transhumanist in nature, including uh, for children, uh, babies, infants, really, as young as three months old. Uh, creating things that would basically track their brain movement and any sort of um, thing, uh, a brain development, uh, cognitive signal they receive that they uh, would determine to be abnormal. They would basically prune uh, the brains of, of <laughs> infant. I mean, it's really sick stuff. Um, when you think about it, basically trying to go in there and make all kids equal the same, yeah. Um, you know, I, in, in the hands of these people, that's very dangerous and they want, they, they see, uh, that agenda moving forward. Um, but that by, you know, 20, 30, 80% of kids will, uh, be subjected to that type of, uh, you know, monitoring surveillance. Um, so anyway, um, there's a lot to say about the intelligence community's role here. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the national security commission on artificial intelligence, that's the military, community, the intelligence community, and Silicon Valley coming together to determine how AI needs to be implemented in the U.S. for national security purposes. And basically, they say, uh, we, in order to beat China in artificial intelligence, we have to become China, but we actually have to go farther than China because China has a bigger population, we have less population. And so we have to uh, get people to adopt these, you know, great reset, fourth industrial revolution uh, technologies uh, wow. much more the, extensively than China because we have to create a bigger data store to have be, better be artificial China intelligence. To, become China to be China. That was a very profound thing. I want to pause here and continue on this um, just to elaborate on this point. What you are saying is, is so important, um, and this is why I brought you on because politically this is very important. On the right, a lot of people know, okay, Bill Gates is poison, Silicon Valley is poison, WEF. But, you know, traditionally, conservatives have kind of worshipped the military, CIA. I mean, that is changing, given yeah, what's going conservatives on. conservatives should be aware that they're not, you know, the military isn't a conservative institution anymore. You're saying they, they are part and parcel of this Partly, agenda sure. to use, you know, through DARPA and their agencies, mm -hmm. uh, DOD, uh, you know, CIA. And again, you, you wonder how much they were behind the two decades worth of uh, gain-of-function research into coronavirus and the coronavirus vaccines. Um, and, you know, that is very disturbing because that's not just some crazy left-wing NGO. That, that's the security apparatus of our own government involved in this wicked transhumanism trying to work on how to monitor, um, get inside of human beings from the time they're born, control them, um, yeah. So, so this is very, very significant. Um, and, and again, this really this deserves its own show, and we're going to have you back for a part two and part three. But I want to give people, you know, a smattering of your of your terrific work the last couple of years. Um, Jeffrey Epstein, I've not covered that much just because there's been too much to cover. But it's not just some sort of salacious, crazy, you know, that all the. Um, you know, big wigs were involved in this, you know, terrible behavior. There's something much more going on here with the security state. Can yeah. you just give us an overview of it? 
Uh, yeah, sure. Well, I, in terms of this conversation, um, I guess the, the, the thing I would I would point out, well, first I point out that there's a reason that the mainstream media focus on Jeffrey Epstein is specifically about his sex crimes in a very uh, relatively narrow amount of time yep. or, or period of time, more or less from the year 2000 till the year 2006. That's what most of the media attention has been on. And it's been specifically on sex trafficking claims. If you look at the whole career of Epstein, He's very obviously a financial criminal, first and foremost, that later got involved with sex trafficking. He started off as a financial, like engaged in illegal financial activity. And that's why it's significant that, well, I'll give you uh, an example that I think will be interesting to, um, you know, uh, right-leaning Americans. So um, Jeffrey Epstein was involved in the, the planning of the largest Ponzi, one of the largest Ponzi schemes in U.S. history at Towers Financial. Um, he did it with a man named Steve Hoffenberg, who was recently found dead um, just a, a few days ago, yep. I believe. Yep. So um, Hoffenberg took the fall for that. But before he did, there was a grand jury proceeding, the prosecutor, main prosecutor. Um, basically, his whole narrative was that Jeffrey Epstein was the mastermind. Hoffenberg uh, affirmed this. A few months later, Jeffrey Epstein's name disappears from the case. Nothing happens to him. Hoffenberg uh, takes the fall and spends a, a couple decades, I believe, in prison and has to return all the money that was stolen through the Ponzi scheme. Jeffrey Epstein, at that point in time, is already involved with fundraisers of the Clinton White House. One of them is mentioned in Vince Foster's quote-unquote suicide note. Afterwards, he's intimately involved with the fundraising of uh, the Clinton 1996 campaign that later became under congressional investigation as part of uh, what is sometimes remembered as Chinagate, sometimes remembered as the illegal campaign finance uh, scandal of 1996. The person at the center of those scandals was Mark Middleton, who was meeting with Jeffrey Epstein at the White House uh, around 15 times or so in less than two years. Epstein went 17 times in total to the White House in, in that particular two-year span. Mark Middleton was found dead in May, in, under very, very suspicious circumstances, um, ruled a suicide. So um, afterwards, uh, you have Epstein continuing to be involved with the Clintons. He's intimately involved with the creation of the Clinton Foundation. More specifically, the, the Clinton Foundation's quote-unquote health-focused initiatives. And in the early 2000s, before Epstein was infamous, Bill Clinton credited Epstein with creating his uh, HIV-AIDS-focused philanthropy. And this same program was adopted by the Gates Foundation, and the Gates Foundation and the Clinton Foundation collaborate uh, very closely on matters of quote-unquote health care, including HIV-AIDS. We know now from mainstream sources that Jeffrey Epstein was an avowed eugenicist. He was mm. also an avowed transhumanist. He uh, claimed in 2012 an official testimony to do lots of work in Africa. He had no presence in terms of business, philanthropy, whatever in Africa, so it appears to indicate that he continued to work with the Clinton Foundation in Africa on HMB AIDS stuff as late as 2012, including after his first arrest. Um, in 2012, the reason he was giving that testimony is because he was trying to create a business where he was going to genetically sequence everyone living in the Virgin Islands, which is the chain that his infamous island was part of, and then sell that genomic data to Big Pharma. Uh, for the purpose of a lot of this uh, gene editing, uh, quote unquote, medicine that we talked about earlier. And that's back in 2012. He knew that's uh, essentially where all this stuff was going to go. Keep in mind that Epstein was intimately involved with 
numerous scientists and geneticists, many of whom are very controversial, uh, controversial, like George Church, who um, has been accused of being a eugenicist, even by mainstream media, <laughs> um, and is, is um, uh, that startup I mentioned earlier, where they're trying to basically merge uh, humans and pigs, uh, that's a George Church startup in China, because it's, it would be illegal to do that in the United States. Um, and a lot of these uh, scientists around him, uh, he wanted them involved in very suspect uh, activities, including um, sort of a, 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 an odd breeding, controlled breeding operation at his Zorro Ranch property, which uh, is, you know, was never raided by uh, the police ever uh, after his 2019 arrest, uh, which is, you know, should be mind boggling for most Americans. Um, as far as the Gates relationship goes, um, you know, what we've been told by the mainstream media is that relationship began around 2011 or so. In reality, it began in the 1990s um, and is related to uh, the, the tech companies of the Maxwell sisters, including Ghislaine Maxwell, but it was run by her twin sisters, uh, Christine and Isabel, who have considerable ties to, um, you know, in, intelligence themselves. And um, it's it's quite a it's very, very complicated web sure. uh, to be sure. So uh, but, it's, but it's about a lot more than just sex trafficking. Um, Absolutely. Which, you know, people already know mm -hmm. the politicians and the elites are very sleazy. So it's kind of Paul. Yeah, par for the course is what they do. But clearly, that's not why everyone around him, including himself, is, you know, turned up dead. Um, It's not just about the sex trafficking. So you're saying that you believe there is this very strong angle of organized crime uh, that he was roped into with the intelligence community that does tie back into this public health, eugenicism, transhumanism, um, and some of the heavy hitters involved in, in, in the scams behind the development of this technology. Yeah, so at the end of the day, all of this is about control. If you can get technology into people, especially in terms of things like brain-machine interfaces, you can control human thought. Uh, and, and to paraphrase uh, Yuval Noah Harari, you can essentially end free will and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's a, a dream for people that are control freaks. So that's sure. what scares me. Obviously, a lot of people were forced into taking the shots. You had the mask, which certainly is a big part of transhumanism, literally taking away the image of God, the face of people. Uh, but, you know, people are able to resist and say, hey, I'm not going to do this because they see it coming and they arrange their life in a way that they don't have to get a shot or, you know, suffer the consequences for it. But my question to you is this. Are there other areas that people need to watch out for that might be done against our will? Um, well, I mean, meaning not not that there's a gun pointed to our head but that there is something subtly lurking, self-spreading vaccines or perhaps 5G technology. Do you have anything to say about that or, you know, some similar threats that we have to watch out for? Um, so unfortunately, I'm not well versed on the threats of 5G. I know that Children's Health Defense has done extensive work on the, the health threats uh, that it, it, it is likely or does pose. Um, so I, unfortunately I can't really comment on that though. I do know that 5g is of interest mainly because it enables the so-called internet of things, uh, which is a very, um, big step towards this sort of religious view of dataism to create sort of this web of interconnected devices, because those people view humans as just another device, right? 
They view humans as a biocomputer. They don't view humans really as sentient beings. They see them as part of a processing system. And so they want to connect human beings to a processing system that doesn't just include humans. It includes devices and objects and really all living things that basically want to put a sensor in everything that's alive and connect it to this internet of all things, uh, as they call it. And 5G is an you know, intimate part of that. It won't work without 5G. So, you know, that I think is reason <laughs> enough to oppose it because sure. in a 4G world, I think we get along just fine. You know, I think internet exactly fast, you know, it doesn't need, I don't know. It, so does this tie in with this it. digital biometric ID, this idea to make sure you're not anonymous online? Yeah. So, um, the digital ID plan has a lot of components to it. So I would say that vaccine passports are really the Trojan horse for this longer standing digital ID push. Um, and if you look at plans like a, in the 2018, there was a white paper written by the World Economic Forum about what digital ID will be and what the plan for it is. And so vaccination records and medical history is just but one component of what your digital ID will be connected to. It's basically um, a, a very centralized um, identifier that you are required to use to access everything in the world as these people have planned it. Um, and it basically, you know, to some, to paraphrase uh, this white paper, it's all about determining what you do and don't have access to, and also what information you do and don't have access to. Um, so we saw the, you know, what you can and can't do with the vaccine passport. You can't go to this place. You can't travel unless you have the vaccine passport you know, uh, and, and soon that becomes, you know, uh, without the digital ID, without the QR code, you know, you can't board a flight and all of that. Eventually it gets there. But, it, you know, it's more than just that. Uh, there's been pushes over the last couple of years, uh, mainly in the EU and the UK, but it was also pitched in the US under Obama, this idea of a driver's license for the internet, that you must have a government issued ID in order to access uh, the online world. And that all of your activity online uh, every site you visit, you know, every email you send, things like that are all tied to your ID. So there's no way to be anonymous anymore. And of course, this is justified as, oh, well, we'll know who the perpetrators of hate speech are and, and all of this stuff. But really, uh, it should be an obvious ploy. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's just an obvious manipulation aimed at um, getting you to surrender um, your privacy and your freedom uh, to access the information you choose to access without, um, you know, being uh, treated as a thought criminal, or at least in the U.S. today, being labeled a domestic terrorist by the Department of Justice. In other words, they want a scenario, they want a world where they can monitor everything you do and possibly think, yeah. but also control it. So the other half of this is that they have to control everything that you do. Certainly their war on food and fuel comes into play. Describe some of, and I think people could already imagine based on your presentation here, but some of the motivations and plans behind this war on, on um, cryptocurrency, war on cash, and this push for a digital currency. Okay, so digital ID is also going to be tied to, your, tied to your finances, right? So part of that is the central bank digital currency or CBDC model. And so that's why there's this effort to basically rein in cryptocurrencies because once the central bank digital currencies exist, they're not going to want competition. 
because they're going to be so unattractive, they have to be the only game in town uh, for them to be successful, essentially. Or the other currencies have to be totally robbed of their value. And, or, un, you know, you'll be prosecuted if you use them. Something like that has to be in place to force adoption of, of the CBDC system. It's not like a free market thing. It has to be imposed on people in such a way where they're, you know, heavily coerced or forced to accept it. Um, so that's essentially what the CBDC is. At the end of the day, it's, it's programmable money is how it's often described. Um, you can look at the head uh, of the Bank of International Settlements, Augustin Carson's, uh, basically saying that the, the beauty of the CBDC is that we'll know exactly what everyone's spending their money on. We'll be able to surveil their finances. Um, because cash, for example, they can't do that. They can see perhaps how much cash you're withdrawing, but they can't see what you spent that cash on. So this is another way, again, related to this push to have the best artificial intelligence or empower artificial intelligence, have all this data, force us to use these technologies that surveil us and also uh, create huge amount of data stores that are then used to, to have, you know, in, in, to further the development of artificial intelligence. Part of this is because, again, this religious faction uh, wants to create what they see as the singularity. Another group wants to create an AI control system that is capable of eternally, essentially, uh, controlling the many by uh, an extremely small amount of people without uh, allowing the people to, you know, challenge uh, their their slavery or inequality or really anything. Uh, you have a grievance, too bad. That's why we're seeing a lot of these same pe people pushing all this other stuff. A great example is Eric Schmidt. Um, he talks about how AI is going to be in charge of the government soon. And AI's thought process is so uh, above and superior to humans that we'll, he, yes. AI won't be able to explain itself to us. We'll just have to follow its edicts. And, and right? one of the things I love how you you established the, the definition of, of transhumanism and your explanation and presentation for the threat that it poses to us is that too many of us for two generations have been primed to think that evil could only arise from racism. Like, for example, you know, the Third Reich, a race-based eugenics. And that's why people don't necessarily perceive this as a threat. Oh, I like technology. Technology is great. But it's coming from the same idea that humans are imperfect and AI is the way to perfect all of the of God's terrible world in their view, and this is the way to solve all problems. It's the same thing. You just take out certain undesirable races, that type of rhetoric from the Third Reich, and here you have the Fourth Reich, which is doing this, except it's worse because it's global, it's public-private partnership, and the technology is beyond, I mean, it's, it's un unbelievable, beyond the grasp of what was around last century. So it's a much greater threat. I, I and I know we didn't do justice to your you know four or five years worth of work on this just with these forty minutes, but I want to end with going back to COVID because sure. to me you've you've obviously laid it out there. It didn't start with COVID. It's been been around for for a few decades, and you know you mm -hmm. traced it back on some level to nineteen fifty seven, but certainly where it went kinetic in a big way where they brought it to humans, they, to, I mean, to the public, they brought it out to the public, they dabbled with it openly, in mass, with 
human rights violations with restrictions, with lockdowns and masks and mandating you do this and the and the surveillance, the digital um, passes, all this stuff. And frankly, despite how much it's been repudiated, um, you know, as illogical, illegal, inhumane, immoral, you know, they haven't really been taken to the woodshed for it. In fact, every day they're advancing. The more information comes out on how harmful it is, the more they succeed in getting more of this approved, even while kind of having a general superficial reprieve of some of the mandates for the broad public while they reload the gun. Yeah. Could you, based on that, this is why it's so important. I want to, I want to address this. You have a column out recently describing the history of Moderna and tying it into the Intel state. If you could give us a synopsis of that article, five minutes or so, um, you know, the, the timeline and the players behind the Moderna vaccine, clearly it wasn't just pulled out in January, February 2020. Okay, so the article you're referring to is actually a two-part article, and it's really long. Uh, so I'm doing a summary of it, and also because my memory of it isn't exactly 100% sure. at the moment. Um, I would encourage people to go and read that if you go to my website, unlimitedhangout.com, and you look under the series tab, there's one about Moderna, and so it's all there for those that are interested. Uh, but essentially, Moderna was allowed to get away, essentially, with murder to get this COVID vaccine onto the market. It's totally insane that it was able to get this far. Um, one of the things, though, that I pointed out in the first part of that series is that uh, mainstream uh, reporters working in sort of health focused media like stat news for example uh basically um had written several reports before 2020 about how moderna was on its last legs as around 2016 2017 or so those articles started to come out because it was just collapsing um they had a hard time keeping investors there they made you know when they were created all of these promises of revolutionizing medicine and all of this stuff that didn't stack up because they couldn't get their products to work. They couldn't even uh, prove they were safe. Like they couldn't even get past safety tests to get to efficacy tests and animal trials because everything kept like dying. Um, And a lot of this was traced back to lipid nanoparticle problems because it was causing liver toxicity and all sorts of stuff. They also had a lot of legal trouble about the lipid uh, nanoparticle um, platform they were using as well because they had issues with how they saw how they sublicensed it from a subsidiary of something that wasn't the real uh, owner of that intellectual property, and it's it's a very complicated legal snafu that they've been involved in for several years. Which is actually to, to sidebar why it's funny that they've sued Pfizer uh, <laughs> over this because you know they've been involved in a legal battle over that same thing for uh, I don't know several years at this point. So uh, Moderna was basically at the end of 2019 imploding entirely. Stefan Bonsell, who's the CEO, told employees to make long-term plans to cut travel and all sorts of other expenses. They'd be downsizing significantly. They'd basically run out of money. And, and before then, you know, they were hemorrhaging their top talent, um, including at their vaccine division, because they couldn't get the stuff to work. And the only reason they ever moved to vaccines uh, was because anything that was more than one or two doses uh, killed too many animals in animal trials. <laughs> and so it had to be, quote unquote, vaccines, because vaccines tr- traditionally are either one or two doses tops, and then you're done. What we're seeing instead is a push for one dose, two dose, three dose, four dose, five dose now in some countries, uh, with something that anything beyond one or two doses 
of the same platform that's used in, in their COVID vaccine was too toxic. To pe- and so that's scandalous. So that was not addressed at all when it was announced that Moderna was going to plan to develop a COVID vaccine. And they had, as I point out in the article, odd foreknowledge of what was to come, uh, including apparent foreknowledge hints from uh, suspect players at the NIH and also suspect players at the World Economic Forum. Uh, For more details on that, I would refer you to my articles on the matter. One of the things I found very astounding in terms of what happened in 2020, and I, um, you know, referring back to that legal snafu I mentioned about the lipid nanoparticles, um, it was reported by Forbes and some other papers uh, that Moderna was basically using the same uh, platform for their COVID vaccine that was part of that legal issue, and including, in, in, and so this was based off of um, studies that they were conducting, safety studies that they were conducting with the NIH uh, specifically to get this vaccine, the COVID vaccine, on the market. And essentially, uh, one of the top people at Moderna said, well, uh, the vaccine in the trial isn't the same as the one we're taking to market. Oh. How do you get away with that? That's mental. That's just totally beyond. He was ne- he's never been challenged on it. <laughs> and no one's brought this up. So essentially, um, based on one of Moderna's own top executives, which in the past two years, he's never retracted the statement. Okay, he said uh, essentially that the trial, one of the trials that was used to justify emergency youth authorization of Moderna was using something that was not the same that was injected into people. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking it's kind of funny that at least with Pfizer, we do have court release documents and they're damning and no one seems to care, but they're released with Moderna. We know nothing. Even less, yeah. It's, but it, shouldn't that be enough? I mean, there should be investing. I mean, it's just insane. Uh, it, I mean, it, people should recognize it for being insane. But this is why I, I keep coming back to the issue of normalization with COVID-19. Yes. All of this stuff, including the numerous cases in which, you know, the Nuremberg Code and stuff was defiled over the past two years, it's all been normalized now because they've done it. And once you do it once, it, it. it doesn't matter. So now it's now the the less effective and the more dangerous it is, and everyone admits it now, the more they could do, do it anyway. Well, yeah, this is now, now we're on to this. I love yeah. how you said that. The normalizations, all social norms, medical norms, scientific this norms, regulatory normal. norms. They've made it the new normal. This new is normal. What it, that's what new normal is all about. Okay. And, and, and I, you know, again, I, for my purposes, this is so important because you can't just walk away from from COVID on my side on the right, most conservatives are like, oh, COVID's done with it. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you don't fear it and that that's great, that part of it, but but they're not done with what they're doing and they're, you know, they're using, it's kind of like first and goal, they get great scoring position, field position, and now they're going to start from that field position that, yeah. that you allowed them to, to utilize. If you don't roll them back, this is all a threat. Everything we discussed today um, again, from the transhumanism, the digital ID, digital currency, um, dataism, the national security state working with, with Silicon Valley to create this nanotech, this gene editing, it's all encompassing. This, These ain't your grandfather's policy issues. Yeah. Um, and I if wish I can, we could have had more time, but any closing thoughts before we sew up today? Yeah, sure. Uh, so what I want to point out why this stuff needs to be focused on now still, even if, you know, it seems like we're in the post COVID era, 
We have a manufactured fuel energy crisis and apparently food crisis on the horizon. Many of the architects of the COVID madness of the past two years and policy papers, it wasn't implemented this time, but it could be implemented in the future. Talk about linking government assistance, food assistance, subsidies, things like that, stimulus checks, what have you, to vaccination status. So let's say that these food uh, and energy crises advance. Most Americans are hungry and cold. And they say, you can get these benefits and not be hungry and cold, but you'll have to take this. You know, that's not even a leap, what you're saying. No, it's not no. even a leap of the imagination because they were already didn't saying, if you don't get a shot, you can't get a liver or kidney transplant. So, I, I, I mean, you don't even need to have a leap of imagination. That that is tremendous. That's gonna be my my column tomorrow is gonna be on, uh, you know, again the food fuel business, what they're doing there. Um, well, obviously, you know, getting it's rid of cars. California gets rid of uh, um, gas powered cars, and then a week later they come and say, well, you know, with those electric cars, uh, you 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 better watch out. Don't uh, charge your car too much. We have an electric grid crisis, and that's that's what they want. This is not going away, and. It's it's frustrating to me that others don't focus on it. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, again, I encourage everyone to go to unlimitedhangout.com. That same name on Telegram, you could find uh, uh, all your um, you know your daily hits there on uh, at Unlimited Hangout on Telegram. Is your book available for pre-order? Yes. Yeah, so if you're in the continental U.S., the best way to order my book it's a two-volume book. Um, so if you want both volumes. Uh, I would encourage you to go to the publisher's website, trineday.com, T-R-I-N-E, uh, day.com. And if you go to upcoming releases, it's on the second page, I believe, of upcoming releases. You can buy the bundle, which is uh, the most cost-effective way to get a physical copy of the book because um, it's much cheaper than buying them both separately. Uh, so I would encourage people to buy from there and not give someone like Jeff Bezos anymore. <laughs> Bingo. I, I love uh, the way you're working. Yeah. I, I love that. Because we really need to, to you know, it, it's convenient to buy from Amazon, but we need to stop giving these insane people our money um, as much as possible. You know, we had to take some responsibility, I feel, for that. So anyway, even if you want to order on Amazon, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do. That's not what I'm interested in doing. But um, I would, you know, encourage you to, to buy from direct from uh, the publisher in, in this case to find it there. Um, for people that are curious, volume one is mostly about the network that enabled Epstein, but the history prior to Epstein, though it does mention Epstein a lot and uh, is very uh, heavy on Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell's father. Um, and volume two is most, most of the Epstein uh, focused material, including the Epstein Clinton White House ties. Uh, that I sort of alluded to earlier. Again, this has been planned. This has been going on for decades. But, mm -hmm. you know, I would have thought this was all crazy talk a couple years ago. But now you're the crazy one. If post-COVID or with post-COVID world, um, you're not curious and looking into this and demanding of your politicians, again, you know, medical bill of rights, patient bill of rights, digital privacy bill of rights. We need to erect those firewalls while we still can. Um, Whitney, thanks so much for joining us today, and I guarantee it won't be the, the last time. Um, really, really enjoy your work. Uh, you're the type of person who should be all over cable news, but you're not for a reason, um, and that's because you are <laughs> yeah. doing that good work, and that's why I want to promote it here. We are just about out of time. Folks, again, follow me at C19TruthBombs on Telegram. Uh, Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. <laughs>